Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily, and my name is Matthew Deemer. Today on the show, what is stock to flow? We're going to tell you. Listener questions answered. And today's headlines. That's coming up today on the Decrypt Daily. Good morning, everyone. Today is Friday, April 23rd, 2021. I don't know if anybody else can notice this. It's something I try to keep out of the podcast quite a bit. But if you can listen very closely in some of the dead areas, me and my girlfriend work both work from home uh, on Fridays. And she's on calls in the other room. And I'm on the podcast here. So you can, if you pay attention very closely to quiet moments in the podcast, you can hear her speaking on the phone in the other room. Just a little behind-the-scenes tidbit that might ruin it for you, but it's always on my mind on Fridays to keep talking to make sure everything goes smooth so there's no dead space so you can't hear her speaking on the phone. <laughs> anyway, if you do catch it, let me know. Matthew Aaron at Decrypt.co. Say, I heard it, and I want to know what she said because I'm recording the podcast and I'm not paying attention. But we need to pay attention to those crypto prices. So let's get into it. Here comes the money. Here we go. And I'm recording this at 11.33 Eastern Standard Time. It's bloody out there, folks. It is bloody. Bitcoin's sitting at $49,588, down 9.3% from yesterday, and in seven days, down 20%. Ethereum is at $2,292, down 11% in 24. And actually, it's not that bad price. Bitcoin's at 504, down 11.5%. Tether at number 4 and XRP at number 5 at $1.10, down 16.8%. Cardano number 6 at $1.9, down 11.5%. To rounding off the top 10, we have Dogecoin, Polkadot, Uniswap, and Litecoin. Total market cap, we fell way below the $2 trillion mark. We're at $1.81 trillion. And a BTC dominance of 50.8%. First things first, let's get into stock to flow. I welcome on co-founder and head of Decrypt Studios, Matt Hussey, to talk about it. Great to be here, Matthew. Always good to talk to you. You know what? I follow this guy named Plan B on Twitter. He's at 100 trillion USD on Twitter. And he talk, talks about stock to flow all the time. And he has these great charts of, of number go up and little dots and timeline and, and predicted prices. And it's falling the line. And I'm like, yeah, stock to flow. I am all about stock to flow, my friend. But I have no clue what the hell it is. Can you tell us what is stock to flow? Sure can. So stock to flow is a, is a model taken from um, assets uh, like gold and silver. And basically, the model is a measure of price based upon how much supply there is and how much demand there is. So if you look at kind of gold and silver, they are things that have to be dug up. They often are quite difficult to dig up. They are scarce. And so as a result, the stock to flow model suggests that because of the scarcity, um, it makes them valuable, right? So a stock-to-flow model, basically what it's showing you is a ratio. So it's the ratio is a number that says how many years of producing the asset would it take to produce the amount of demand there is today? So with gold, there it's roughly between 60 and 65 years to produce all the gold that's in demand now. 
using current techniques. For silver, it's like between 50 and 70, depending on the market. And with Bitcoin, because Bitcoin uses mining and there's a kind of a scarcity built into the program, it has what's considered a kind of quite high stock to flow ratio. That is, we're only producing a certain amount of Bitcoin at any one time. There's a demand for it. That demand will continue to be there, but the, but the production of Bitcoin will go down because that's how the, the network was built, right? So we've already mined 90% of all the Bitcoin there'll ever be. And as a result of that, the price will go up based upon that scarcity going up entire the time. Well, that sounds so simple. I got a question for you, though. Sometimes you see in something that you can't have with Bitcoin. I want to actually understand like how reliable this model is or if there's any um, flaws in it. And I know you're going to you're, you're going to give me the flaws in it right, real quick. But the first thing I think is when you're comparing this to gold and how much gold can be dug up and using traditional technology, the technology that we have today, sometimes you stumble on huge gold deposits. You're like, oh, wow, look at that. There's a crap ton of gold right there. I got a lot more gold. And that might uh, fluctuate the price. But Bitcoin, that can't happen. Is that a correct uh, like analysis to say, hey, this might be a flaw in the model and actually might be beneficial to Bitcoin? Yes and no. So Bitcoin has something, Bitcoin mining has something called a difficulty rating, which is basically the network is constantly adjusting how hard the puzzle is for computers to solve. So if we, with Bitcoin mining, if a Bitcoin miner came along, and let's say most Bitcoin miners use a thousand machines to solve the problem, and it takes them 10 minutes, what's to stop someone coming along with 10,000 machines and, and solving it in a fraction of the time, and they're just scooping up all the Bitcoin all the time? So the network has something called a difficulty rating, which will monitor how many computers are trying to guess what the puzzle is and it will adjust that accordingly so that it can it maintains that block production time of 10 minutes i think it is but also maintains the idea that no one can just dominate a network by pumping loads of machines into it so with your gold analogy if someone found a load of gold you know then the difficulty rating there would be there's a person who finds the gold want to dig up all their gold at once, right? So in Bitcoin, the network controls that automatically. In the real world, it will be the, the holder of that gold doesn't want all that gold to appear on the market straight away because the value would just collapse. So they control the supply. All right. So well, that's not a flaw in stock to flow. What are the flaws then? <laughs> so the, the, the flaws in, in stock to flow are well, the many. So if you look at closely at the graphs and the graphs on all over Twitter and the internet, we wrote a piece about it today. You have a lot of variance on along the line, right? And you have moments when the line and the, and the predicting models stays pretty close. And then you have moments when the line goes way beyond the model and way below the model as well. What does that mean? Why is that a flaw? It's a flaw because it's, it oversimplifies the idea of supply and demand. So if you look at gold, gold's value has changed a lot over the last like 50, 60 years. Gold has been worth everything from $90 billion to $8 trillion, the total gold market in that time. So the what and what affects that price is a lot of different things. What's happening in the broader economy, how much supply there is, uh, storage space, regulation around holding gold, anti-money laundering stuff, all kinds of things affect. The stock to flow model for Bitcoin, again, uses this really simple idea that the only thing that affects Bitcoin's price is supply. But as we've seen this week, Bitcoin's price is tanked 
And that's got nothing to do with supply. It's not because miners have disappeared or suddenly the mining has got harder. It's to do with other things happening around Bitcoin and across the world. That's the reason why the price has gone up. Well, the way that I look at this chart, and correct me if I'm wrong, is it's kind of like, well, first of all, the, the line on the graph is the average price over a specific amount of time. And it's kind of like looking at climate change and we're trying to compare temperature to climate change. Yeah. So the the climate is, or the temperature is all over the board. It's cold one day and hot the next day. That, and everybody says when it's hot, it's like, oh, well, global cooling or, or when it's cold, global warming. You know, it's like, ha ha ha. No, climate is the average and is the average going up. And that's what it looks like here. Uh, so does that, so the, does the variance between the price actually matter if the average is actually looks like it's following the average of the stack to flow model? It's a good question. I think the best kind of like comparison model that, that people have used that sort of suits how to think of the stock to flow model is um, something called Moore's Law. A guy called Moore in like the 1950s, he was talking about computing power, right? And he said computing power double every so, so many years, um, stretching across the 20th century. And if you look back at what he said, he was broadly right. Yeah, computing power did go up in these kind of leaps and bounds. There were moments when computing power wasn't going precisely as well as, as the model, model suggested, but was broadly tracking, like you say, with, with the model. So stock to flow so far can be seen as a similar sort of thing. It's a kind of, it's an overarching idea that looks at Bitcoin's design, which says that Bitcoin, will, the network will allow fewer and fewer and fewer Bitcoins to be produced over time. As, the, as that number goes down, the scarcity of, of supply goes up and therefore the price will go up with it because there's fewer being produced. So it takes that simple idea and just maps it out over time. When, whether it will stick to that closely or not closely is a matter of debate, but so far it's been a really good indicator of showing where Bitcoin has gone so far. So you're a believer in stock to flow, that's what you just said. <laughs> I like the model because it's because you know when things come along and simplify what is a really complicated thing, it's it's pleasing, right? But do I do I will I bet my Bitcoin on it? Mm, having read a bit about how the hedge fund sharks have moved into Bitcoin recently, I'm not. I don't feel as confident in the model as much anymore. But it's a useful way of explaining to people that the the elegance of Bitcoin's design as opposed to like the US dollar or the British pound that can, they can just produce money infinitely, Bitcoin can't. And there's something really elegant about that. And just to go back to your Moore's Law, and I'm going to end this really quick, but uh, Moore's Law, yeah, it did double um, the computing processing power up into a point until we had a precipice of just recently that we don't need that much computing power for our day-to-day -day lives. So it's almost plateaued. And maybe we just don't need the Bitcoin price to go much higher than it is. It, could that be it? Good, 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 good idea. It's a good idea. I think, um, you know, if you looked at earlier this week, Bitcoin and Ethereum, for example, really diverged in price, right? And historically, when Bitcoin went down, it brought everyone else with it. Maybe, what, maybe the message here is that Bitcoin was the first thing, the thing that we were all really interested in, and the value of Bitcoin was a kind of byword for the value of crypto. But maybe what we're going to see over the next few years is the value of crypto shift into other projects that maybe seem a bit uh, unknown or not knowable right now, but will become household names later on, right? If you looked at how the internet worked in the 90s, there was no Google, there was no Facebook, there was 
none of those companies existed, but then they came to define what came next. And maybe that's what the model is really showing us. Co-founder and head of Decrypt Studios, Matt Hussey, thank you very much for coming on the show and telling us about Stock to Flow. Good to speak to you, Matt. Now let's get into those listener questions. I have two listener questions today that we're going to cover. One was from a couple weeks back. I'm sorry it took so long to get to this. If you have emailed me a listener question and I haven't got to it yet, I will get to it. They are on my list. It's just, you know, more and more people send questions, the longer it takes to address them. I apologize for that. Um, and some of the questions I think I might just not address too. Uh, some of them are just, all of them will be addressed. So don't, don't, don't get me wrong. Uh, but some takes just a little more research. But some of them, I think there might be the companies of the crypto companies like saying, hey, can you explain or tell me about this obscure exchange or platform or cryptocurrency? I want to know more about it. And it's like, yeah, that's a question. And I get that. But are you the company just wanting to promote your coin? But and you know, I won't let you on the show <laughs> or promote your platform. So I kind of take those with a grain of salt. If they're like overarching like platforms like Ethereum, yeah, of course, uh, or, or like how something works, say if something is using a proof of stake or sharding or something like that, we'll talk about it. But I really don't like to go coin specific because it's like, like who, who, who's asking the question? Anyway, we're going to get into this question. The first question comes from Arthur. And Arthur asked this, I own a number of paintings by various artists that I purchased at galleries here in London. Ooh, London galleries. Ooh, okay. Okay. Continues to say, I would very much like to digitize some of these paintings via the NFT avenue. I don't mean destroy the original, I just want to have both. Two reasons for this. One being is I, I like the art, I want to keep it in both formats. I'm attached to them. Second, I want to see where crypto's art is going. I want to own some digital crypto art. So my question is, where do I stand as the owner if I want to mint them and also own the art? Can I just mint the art that I own? And to answer that question for you is Decrypt's Editor-in-Chief, Daniel Roberts. Hi, Arthur. This is Dan Roberts, the editor-in-chief of Decrypt. I wanted to help you by answering your question about NFT and artwork. I think this is a question a lot of people have right now is what exactly can you mint as an NFT? Who holds the various rights uh, and what rights do they hold? I mean, this is all very bleeding edge stuff and everyone's wondering about this. When it comes to art, my advice, but of course I am not a copyright lawyer and I think a lot of copyright lawyers right now are rapidly, urgently looking into this field so that they can answer these questions too. But my advice would be to get permission from any artist before going about making an NFT of their art. So of course, if you have a drawing that you made yourself, or if you have something, some item you own, some piece uh, that you truly own and are the creator of, you can go ahead and turn it into an NFT pretty easily. But if you have a print of an artwork that another artist made, you might want to err on the side of caution with turning it into an NFT. Uh, a lot of the excitement right now around NFTs that artists have and musicians as well is for things like digital rights management, DRM, and the idea of giving more royalties to the original creator. That's the appeal for a lot of artists that have done NFTs is they say, okay, you know, I create the original and I, I bake into it that a hundred copies can be minted, but every time one of those is minted, I get a 10% cut. And some of the various NFT marketplaces uh, have that built in. And when you create one, the original creator gets a cut every time it's resold. All that is great, but if you mint an NFT out of an artwork that you do not own or didn't create, then you could potentially be on the hook for a lawsuit. I mean, uh, attorneys that I've spoken to in the IP and copyright area are basically approaching this the same way they would if they had a client who was an artist and the client discovered T-shirts or merchandise that was unauthorized and was using their art. 
they would send a cease and desist. So I imagine if an artist uh, that created a work that you bought in a gallery discovered that you had made money from an NFT version of that piece without getting their permission, they could potentially come after you. Of course, all of this is kind of Wild West early days. There aren't walled gardens. A lot of the rules and procedures are unclear, so it's still happening. But if you're in touch with the artist of the work that you own, which I think you mentioned in your question you are, best to get permission from them first. And maybe you can uh, mint that NFT together in conjunction with them and get a cut and give them a cut. But good luck. And of course, keep Decrypt and keep Matthew Aaron posted on what happens here and what you discover. Thanks for listening. Dan, thank you for that answer. Arthur, I hope that helps. Our second question comes from, who does it come from? Joshua. Joshua says, what's happening with F2.0? For some reason, I thought something was coming in July this year, but when I tried to Google it, there was nothing nothing there and just a lot of bullshit. Can you help me? What was happening in July? Well, that's a great question because it already happened. It was supposed to be scheduled for June or July that the Berlin fork was going to happen, and this was going to do a couple things for Ethereum. It was going to, and I reported more in depth on this on April 15th, by the way, so if you want to go back to April 15th podcast, it's also in there. So what the Berlin fork did was it did a couple things. The first one is it reduced gas costs. It basically cut the transaction price of ETH in half in order to basically make it cheaper for people to send and use these uh, decentralized services or dApps, DEXs, and so on and so forth. Um, but it also wanted to prevent DDoS attacks or denial of service attacks, and it wanted to also reduce the risk of a broken smart contract. So there's a lot of other protocols out there or platforms that are making things really cheap to do DEXs and, and other NFTs and, and so on and so forth. Um, and F is still very slow and expensive, and it's trying to incrementally uh, change the network without messing up the whole infrastructure to make it cheaper and safer to use. And this fork was supposed to happen on June or July, but it actually happened on April 15th. I just want to recap that it already happened. So when the next fork happens, I'm not too sure myself, but the June or July fork, the Berlin fork already happened April 15th. And if you want to listen to that podcast, go back to the April 15th podcast. It is entitled Coinbase Direct Listing Review. I have this news as well in there. Moving into today's headlines. If you guys remember yesterday, I spoke about Thodex. It's an exchange in Turkey that has basically stopped trading with billions of dollars locked up in it. One trader said he has about $12,000 in Doge locked up on Thodex. He said, in quote, they didn't let us withdraw funds for a week and they never provided us customer support. First, they halted trading citing six hour maintenance, which they extended to five days citing outside investment, end quote. And so we're all sitting here like, what's going on? What's going on? Oh, well, I'll tell you what's going on. This morning, Turkish police detained 62 people, they seized the company's computers and froze its bank accounts, and the government is preparing to extradite the CEO from Albania, which he fled to two days ago. No, nothing to see here, folks. Not a scam. Absolutely not a scam. He just went to Albania for, eh, reasons, right? The thing is, Turkey doesn't even have a gray zone when it comes to the law. It's more like black. There is no law. Nobody knows what is going to happen with this. But all I can tell you is there's a lot of pissed off people rightfully so some people have like three or four or five bitcoin on the exchanges right now we're selling 150 200 000 of bitcoin on the exchanges right now and they're suing and if you've seen exit scams like this before these things take a long time to resolve <laughs> good luck y'all and i hope everybody takes the advice don't keep your crypto on an exchange put it into a wallet please 
And in some interesting and very bullish news coming out of Coinbase today, Coinbase Pro is going to list Tether. And this is bullish because if you guys remember, the New York Attorney General's office was uh, putting an investigation for illicit loans between it and its sister exchange, Bifinex. And everybody's saying Tether is a scam. And if you guys remember, Coinbase went public. I don't know how you could miss that news, but they did. They went public. They're on the NASDAQ through direct listing. And so they are under scrutiny by the U.S. government and regulations and the SEC and all these other regulatory bodies. And they're going to list Tether on their exchange. Therefore, this puts a lot of legitimacy into Tether. Huh, boy, those naysayers, huh? This is a flippity floppity. Now what are you going to say, huh? Tether's still a scam? Are you going to come up with the Tether FUD again? Are we going to hear some more Tether FUD? And if you thought we can leave without stroking our own ego, no, you cannot. We have to stroke ourselves a little bit because the 2021 Ethereal Virtual Summit powered by Decrypt is coming up two weeks from now. And we just added a whole lot of names to the lineup for May 6th and May 7th. You can register for free. Link is down in the description in the show notes. There's myself. I'm going to be there. I think that should be enough. I'm going to be interviewing somebody. So you can come see me interview somebody. Or you can come and see Edris Snowden or CZ Java, the CEO of Binance or People Pleaser or, you know, a slew of other people. I think, honestly, I'm the star of the show. But, hey, I told you this was like a whole stroke ourselves section. <laughs> anyway, register for free. Go to the Ethereal Virtual Summit, May 6th, May 7th. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Diemer. Don't forget to go to DiemerForCongress.com. That's D-I-E-M-E-R for Congress.com. Help the campaign out. I need to get into Washington in order to be a blockchain advocate. Also, Apple Podcasts, like, subscribe, share, and leave us a comment. It helps us stay visible and moves us into the top section so we can get better and better guests. I'm going for Andrew Yang. I want to talk to Andrew Yang. I want to talk to him about crypto. Now, let's see if we can work that out. Anyway, until our weekend update, happy hodling, everyone, and enjoy your Friday.